should have all gotten this card when you came in. We are having at Providence a women's holiday brunch on Saturday, November 3rd. It is definitely worthwhile you coming before the holiday bustle comes to come and just focus our heart and our minds on the reason we're doing all the bustling. So I highly recommend y'all come. It will not be a waste of time by any means. So open your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. I just have to tell you on your finding uh, your place that as I was buckling Rebecca into her car seat two weeks ago, she goes, Mama, why are all the big people asking me about Anna and Elsa? And I said, well, baby, I shared with all my friends how you got to meet them. And I even, you know, showed them a picture. And she's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. So that was, I thought it was funny, so. Hopefully you're at 2 Peter 1 now. If not, keep turning. But we are actually going to start back where we began two weeks ago. So look at verse 3 with me. And please follow along as I read. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And our new verses, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us all back here today. Thank you again that we have the privilege to read and study your word without fear. May we never, ever take for granted that in our hands every day we get to pick up your very breath, which has been breathed out and revealed to all of us. I ask this morning that my words would not be the wise and persuasive words of man, but a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power in a very weak vessel, so that men's faith may not rest on the wisdom of person, but the power and wisdom of Almighty God. Please speak to us this morning. Please show us a little bit more about who you are. And more than anything, may your name and your renown be glorified. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. So when we begin to read this list, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, we may start feeling a little overwhelmed. Maybe you're really good at one or two of them, but the rest, you know, forget it. (laughs) And these doubts and insecurities are the reason that it is so important for us to look back at verses 3 and 4. You see, it is like looking at the Grand Canyon through binoculars. What you see through the binoculars is majestic and intricate and beautiful, but if you remove the binoculars and look at the whole vista, the entire canyon, The image is breathtaking. And as you begin to realize how the image you saw in the binoculars fits in with the entire vista of the canyon, you get a greater picture of the whole. So when we read scriptures, we need to approach verses with the laser focus of binoculars, 
But first, we need to look at the entire canyon, which is the context the scripture was put in, in order to get the true picture of what the Bible is wanting us to know. So, remember that God, through his divine power, has given us everything we need to live the godly life that he desires. At the moment of salvation, when we pray and ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, he gives us all that we need to live for him. So, as a metaphor for us visual learners, it's like this backpack, okay? This backpack represents God's free gift of salvation. So, when I turned my heart and my life over to Jesus Christ, it was given to me at the moment of my salvation. In this backpack is everything that I need to live a godly life. And when God gives us all these gifts and precious promises that are mentioned in Scripture, we have two choices— First, we can choose to leave them in the backpack and just carry them around with us for the rest of our life, always knowing in the back of our mind that they're there, but never choosing to do anything with it. However, we know that was never God's intention. He would prefer that we pick option number two, which is to unpack what he has already given us. Therefore, the first thing I would like us to see in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 this morning is that God is calling us to build. Now, you may be wondering what mega blocks have to do with this idea, and I promise that your theoretical backpack from God does not contain mega blocks. However, you might be a mom if, right? So stay with me. God has already given us all these things. Remember, we didn't buy them or earn them. We receive the gifts and we start building. We take faith, and then you add on goodness, and then knowledge. And then self-control. Okay, you get it? And we start building. And these are not the only gifts that God gives us in Scripture. But remember that we're focusing through our binoculars today just on Second Peter. And as I'm building these blocks, there may be a little bit of a check in your system, or your spirit. Because you're thinking, we cannot do this on our own. We can't build these things. And you're exactly right. In Hebrews chapter 5, we learn about growing in our spiritual walk. And the writer tells us that we begin our spiritual growth journey through what he calls feeding on spiritual milk. And spiritual milk is when the basics of the gospel are broken down into simple, well-explained thoughts and taught to us in a way that we can easily understand, digest, and take in. It's just like how a baby starts with formula or breast milk because in order for their young little systems to digest the nutrients they need, they need it in the simplest and most broken down form. However, just as we physically grow and begin to eat solid food, we're encouraged to grow in our faith and knowledge of God and eventually start feasting on spiritual solid food as well. And this happens when we start to read and study the Bible on our own and then apply that knowledge to our life and act on what we have learned. So Hebrews 5.14 culminates this entire passage of Scripture teaching on this, and it says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves. So we grow spiritually through constant use and training. And as we do this, so as we build our blocks, it should always point to the cross. For not only are we called to be builders, but we are called to remember and to submit to the power of the cross. Because it is only through and because of Jesus' death on the cross and then resurrection three days later that we can ever hope to do any of these things. 
I don't know if you remember, two weeks ago when we were together, we read from Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 20, and I want to read them again. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So as we come to these types of lists in scripture, and we begin to feel the crushing weight of defeat or the great responsibility of godliness, instead of kind of just skimming it over and thinking, that's great, I should probably do that, and I'm going to try really hard, but I'm no Peter or Paul, let's remember that we already have the backpack. The pulpit commentary actually explains it this way. The work is God's work. We can do very little, but that very little we must do. So I hope this this makes sense to y'all. We're called to build upon what God has already given us, but we are called to build in the strength that he supplies through the completed work on the cross and the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Then and only then can we be confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So now that we all recognize that we have a part to play in this maturing process, that we must take the blocks out of the bag, but this passage of scripture doesn't actually just call us to build only, but to make every effort in the process. Look back at verse 5. For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith. For what reason? Because of recognizing all that Christ and God has done for us so that we may participate in his divine nature and escape the corruption of the world, we should make every effort. Now, the phrase make every effort actually translates to the word diligence. We studied that in our homework this week. When I was growing up, my mom taught us these character qualities from this book, a child's book of character building, Growing Up in God's Word by Ron and Rebecca Coriel. They're great books. So if you ask me to define diligence, it immediately from my memory, I would say working hard to accomplish a task because that's how we learn diligence. John Wesley says that our diligence, our working hard to accomplish a task, is to follow the gift of God, and that is then followed by an increase of all his gifts. What this means is that When we understand all that Jesus Christ did for us, we should be motivated to do our part. Therefore, when we combine the idea of diligence with the word supplement or add, like we read this week in verse 5, all of a sudden we realize that Peter is actually teaching us to do our part in response to what Christ has done on his part. And we actually see this in other places in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 9.10, The same Greek word meaning add or supplement that we read in verse 5 this week is also used. In 1 Corinthians it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. See, God is the supplier of our basic tools, talents, and giftings that we use to serve and glorify his name. But that same God also supplies the harvest too. (laughs) And that is grace. Because we reap a harvest of righteousness through the supply and increase which the Lord gives us. 
So we know we're supposed to make every effort then to add or supplement or to follow along with our illustration to build upon that which Christ has already given us. But what are we supposed to add or build? So let's look back to our scripture, five verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. Now remember there's numerous lists of Bible quality or Bible of... There's numerous lists in the Bible of character qualities that we should possess. In Galatians 5, we have the fruits of the Spirit. In Colossians 3, it says to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's not even open Proverbs 31 at this point. So, But remember, we are just going to look through the binoculars at just this passage today. All of those things are great and worthy too. And we can apply these same things we're learning in this list to those, okay? So let's look at the qualities he lists this morning in a little bit more detail. First, he mentions goodness or virtue, depending upon your translation. So if you were to do a keyword study of the word goodness or virtue in the Greek, it actually means manliness, valor, or excellence. Some translations say goodness or moral excellence. And what Strong's Concordance says, if we put all these definitions together, that what this verse is teaching us is that we are called to courageously pursue and obey what we know to be true and right as followers of Jesus Christ. We need courageous valor, obedience to do his will. However, how do we know what to courageously pursue? That is why next Peter encouraged us to add to our faith knowledge. Now, this knowledge is actually not the same word for knowledge that we talked about two weeks ago. This knowledge is from the Greek word gnosis, which means a seeking to know, an inquiry, or an investigation. Now, this is interesting because when we combine virtue, which is courageous action, to knowledge, we understand it's only through seeking to know and investigating God's word so that we truly understand his will and his desires, that we can ever properly, courageously obey. Isn't it true that it takes courage and valor to seek out and investigate truth? We live in a day and age where truth is absolutely up for grabs. There seems to be actually no absolute truth because absolute truth is now viewed as prohibiting and closed-minded. So we must courageously investigate what is true about God and his word. The fact of the matter is that if we do not start building upon what God has given us, we will be swept away in a tidal wave of false truth because the loud voices that inundate our lives are full of great speechwriters and very convincing and persuasive orators and popular opinions of people that we have idolized and put on a pedestal. And it it can sound so right, and it can sound so true. So back to Disney World. Apparently, this is going to be my illustration for the next six years, so bear with me. So Disney has perfected making the fake look real. I mean, absolutely perfected it. That is why we basically hand them our life savings, right, so that we can experience this magic. And because of this, my same precious little brave three-year-old was totally confused about what was real and what was not. And she was constantly asking me, is this real? Is this real? Is this real? And finally, you know what it's like. I just kind of like threw this blanket statement out there to stop the questions. I said, 
If it's a person, it's real. If it's not, it's fake. Let's move on. So on the last day of our Disney adventure, we went to Animal Kingdom and we rode this absolutely horrible dinosaur ride. Now, if you love the dinosaur ride, I think you're a little crazy, but I, but I don't want to offend you. Our family was just absolutely not a fan. And at the end of this ride, even I was closing my eyes because it was just so loud and overwhelming to my senses. So halfway through the ride, as little, you know, three-year-old Becca is in between me and Joe, I'm actually thinking, great, I'm officially the worst mom on the planet for driving, you know, grab, grabbing the three-year-old and putting her on this ride. And I'm actually picturing her age 12 still sleeping in between us because of the nightmares that I'm just sure that this ride is going to give her. So as I'm going through this, you know, relay of thoughts in my mind, I actually hear Joe. He leans down and asks Becca if she's okay. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, and she turns to him and she said, well, they're not people, so they're not real. (laughs) Calm as anything. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. So mama said it and she believed it, even though the ride was so overwhelming to the senses. And even though those dinosaurs really did look real and menacing, she was fine because she knew without a doubt in her mind that they were fake. And this is the key. She had listened to my voice earlier before it mattered. And then she applied what she knew to be true at the moment that she needed it the most. And this is what we as women must do spiritually. We must choose to listen to the voice of our Heavenly Father speak to us now, before it's too late, before we need it. And we all know that he speaks to us through his word. So we need to courageously, with valor, be seeking to know the Bible inside and out. And when we do this, we will be able to believe and recognize the voice of truth when our senses are being bombarded with faults but seemingly real truth. So in this cultural climate that we're living in, you all know this, it can actually feel unloving to not believe what people are yelling for us to believe. But regardless, we must courageously investigate the scriptures of truth anyway. And then we do what Peter tells us to do next. We practice self-control or temperance. Basically, This means voluntary self-restraint. Now, I'm going to use Strong's Exhaustive Concordance a lot for the dictionary um, of what these words mean. And in this particular passage, when self-control is following the word knowledge, it suggests that what is learned is then required to be put into practice. Or as James 4.17 just sums it up for us, that anyone who knows the right thing to do and does not do it sins. So might drop, right? Okay. So it's important that self-control follows knowledge because often when we grow in knowledge, if we are not careful, we can allow that knowledge to give us a little bit of license to sin. And Jude, the book of Jude, which we're actually also going to be studying this year, warns us about false teachers who do this. When he says they are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. That's in verse 4. He goes on to talk about men who follow their own ungodly desires and natural instincts. And that's in verses 18 through 19. With knowledge must come self-control. We must show godly restraint. And, And I'm talking about in a lot of things. If we know that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then 
let's show self-control and take care of our bodies through healthy diet and exercises. I have a six-pack of Hershey bars sitting in the top of my refrigerator right now. If we know that God desires to speak to us through his word, his active and living word, then let's deny the desires of the flesh to be lazy. And let's get in his word every day. Oh, and if we know that the righteousness, the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness that God desires, then let's be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You see, knowledge does bring freedom. It brings freedom from worry. It brings freedom from anxiety and fear because we can trust the one that we know is trustworthy and good and holy and sovereign. But knowledge does not bring us the freedom to sin or to indulge in the flesh in whatever feels or seems good at the moment. So next, we build upon perseverance or patience or steadfastness, depending upon your translation. And I realized as I was reading it just now that I have used several different versions. So each time it says a little something different. So depending upon your translations. Now, this is a hard one. It is hard to consistently and constantly show self-restraint. To persevere in seeking out truth over the ease of just accepting whatever culture says is true. To persevere in our faith when we are tired or hurting or sick or scared. And to just amp up the challenge a little bit. The Greek word actually means cheerful or hopeful endurance. Patiently waiting. And that takes on an entirely different meaning because all of us can, most of us can persevere just by gritting our teeth and bearing it. But to live with cheerful endurance... That's an entirely different ballgame. Matthew Henry writes in the, for this passage, it is cheerful submission to the will of God. This steadfastness is submitting to God's will even when we don't love our circumstances. My family got to experience this truth very practically about nine years ago. My dad suddenly passed away on Christmas Eve nine years ago this upcoming Christmas and I came from a very close and tight-knit family, so it was absolutely devastating. So while we were at the visitation in the funeral home, greeting family and friends, we noticed that one of our neighbors was sitting on us. So I'm like standing here. Dad was like right here. So we noticed that one of our neighbors is over here sitting on the sofa and just like tears are just pouring down his face. So after a little bit, my brother leaves the greeting line, and he went and sat down next to our neighbor, and he's like, you know, what, what's going on? And he told my brother that your dad's been talking to me about Jesus. And when we had that conversation, I wasn't ready to give my life to him, and now he's gone. And it feels hopeless because I'll never be able to finish that conversation. And because my brother, even when his heart was hurting, and a circumstance that my entire family would give everything in the world to change because we hated it. Because he chose to submit to God's will and reach out. We were able to watch my brother lead our neighbor to the Lord. In a funeral home, surrounded by death, we got to watch our neighbor move from true death to life. See, we don't have to love our circumstances to hopefully endure them. We have to practice self-control to not give up, but courageously believe what we know to be true, that God is good, sovereign, kind, and loving, even when it doesn't feel that way. And ladies, 
Let me just remind us of the incredible responsibility that we carry to do this well in our homes. Because like it or not, we set the temperature of our homes. The way we endure our circumstances will teach those around us, especially our children, the way that they're going to endure their circumstances. And when we feel like we can't wash another dish or do another load of laundry or change another diaper or take care of another person when we just want somebody to take care of us for once, we must choose to practice self-control and hopefully and cheerfully endure. We must train those around us to endure their circumstances with the joy and strength that God provides through our example. And I know this is much easier to say than to do and There actually may be some of you in this room that are thinking, I would do anything if what I had to cheerfully endure was diaper and dishes. (laughs) You have no idea what I am going through, and that's correct. I don't. And I'm sorry. And words are empty, so I'm not even going to try. But I will say this. Remember that Jesus Christ, your Savior, who loves you, who gave everything for you and died on the cross for you, is standing before you with nail-scarred hands open wide to receive you. So in those times that it is hard, please remember that Jesus is worth it. So the Sermon Bible says the noisy virtues have their day. Patience has eternity. It is far easier to work than to wait, to be active than to be wisely passive. But it is when we are still that we know God, when we wait upon God that we renew our strength. And I know most of you know this passage, James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So next, we are encouraged to add or build or supplement, whatever your version says, to our faith with godliness. Now, this is a reverence for things divine. This is when we begin to look more and more like Christ. Ephesians 5 says to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Now, the Bible tells us in numerous places that this happens as we grow in our faith. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Or, how about Romans eight twenty nine? For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Or Ezekiel thirty six twenty six, which says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you, and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Or Ephesians 4.24, which teaches and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And there are countless others. See, it amazes me that God not only redeems us and adopts us and grants us all that we need to live the godly life that he desires. But he transforms us to look like his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't leave us where he found us. He does a new work. And I pray that I never get over the fact that I have more than the responsibility, but the amazing and glorious privilege to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, my Savior. That is abounding grace. So finally, 2 Peter instructs for us to add brotherly affection. Now, the Greek word is Philadelphia or phileo love, which translates to love between friends. We are called to love the body of Christ that Christ loves so deeply. 
We should treat our brothers and sisters as family, and depending upon your relationship with your family, as really good family that you actually like. So what's so interesting to me, though, is that after brotherly affection, Peter tells us to add or supplement our faith with love. And the Greek translation of the word love in this text is agape love. Agape love is used to describe love from God whose very nature is love itself. It's the type of love that's spelled out for us in 1 Corinthians 13. Strong's Concordance says it this way, it's the type of love that God desires for his children to express so they can show the world his essential nature. And this makes sense. For the Bible tells us in numerous places that Jesus teaches a new commandment. I give you love one another as I have loved you. So also you must love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's John 13, 34 through 35. And 1 John 3, 10 teaches us by this the children of God and the children of the devil can be distinguished. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. We live in a world that screams love for all, but is actually extremely intolerant or unloving toward anyone that does not wholeheartedly agree with them. And we can point our fingers and say, that is right, but you know, when you point your finger, three more fingers are pointing back at us. And we may not be as vocal about our dislike of those who don't agree with us, but I think if we were to test our heart, we would see that it is actually there. So in the words of 1 John 4, this is how God's love was revealed among us. God sent his son and his only son, Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. And love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, that means he's talking to us, his church. If God so loved us, then surely we ought to love one another. So if we are to honor God with the gifts and promises he gives us, and ultimately we must put on agape love towards the mankind that he made in his own image. So finally, why do we do this? Why do we take the gifts out of the bag and build? Why do we make every effort and all diligence to add these gifts God has given us? And Peter tells us in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So lastly, does not, not only does God call us to build, he calls us to be fruitful. We have been given all that we need to do and be all that God created us to be, but he is not going to ever force us to grow or build. He leaves that choice up to us. So another quick word study, the word ineffective in verse 8, led me to discover that the word in the Greek actually means idle, barren, yielding no return because of inactivity. You see, we're not ineffective because we are failures or not good enough to be used or past hangups or any kind of perceived lack that we see in ourselves. We are ineffective because we fail to act. We are only failures when we choose inactivity, laziness, or idleness over simply using the gifts that God has given us. See, this idea is huge for us because I believe that this is a major way that Satan attacks us. We look at someone else's giftings or talents and we think that we are less than or not as important as them because we're not doing blank and you fill in the blank. 
We label ourselves as ineffective when Christ is standing before us and saying, no, you are only ineffective when you choose to be inactive. For when we choose obedience to whatever Christ calls us, and Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we were created by God for a purpose, then you are effective. You're fruitful. And y'all, we may never be able to measure on this earth our level of effectiveness or fruitfulness, but we can trust God that when we build upon the gifts that he has given us, as we walk out in obedience, then we will be bearing the fruit that he desires. And all of this, right, should immediately take us right back to the cross because we are only building with the strength that God provides. We find that word mentioned for us over and over in scripture. You see, God's like the parent that gives their child money to buy them a birthday present. (laughs) He's done most of the work. He's actually paid the price. The child just has to go do it, right? We don't have to manufacture these traits on our own from our own moral decency, we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, transforming us into his likeness and growing in us the fruits of his spirit. It is this in this truth that we understand that we're not to focus on doing things for Christ. See, when we come to lists like this, all of a sudden we can get our task-orientedness out. Now I've got to do this, and now I've got to do this, and now I've got to do this. What this is teaching us is that it's about being with Christ, You become more like Christ the more that you spend time with Christ. We need to abide with Christ, as John 15 says. And I was running so late, I had to cut all of that out. Go home and read John 15 about abiding with Christ. When we allow his life-giving power to flow through us and connect us to his heart and what he loves, it is only when we are connected to the source and we are living life with Jesus Christ every day that we have the strength or the power to build to do any of these things. So the word knowledge in verse 8 is actually the same word for knowledge that we talked about two weeks ago. That is knowing Christ personally. It is greater participation by the knower in the object known, thus more powerfully influencing him or her. So this verse is encouraging us to not be unfruitful in our knowledge of him, but calling us to participate with Christ and do all that God commands. So I'm just, there was a lot of thoughts out there. So I kind of want to sum it up like this, okay? God is big, he's sovereign, and he's powerful. And in his great mercy and love, he saw fit to give us all we need to live the life that he desires for us to live at the moment of our salvation. He doesn't demand our participation like a puppeteer who moves its puppet around. He invites us to partake in his will and be a faithful steward of all that we've been given. He invites us to join in with him and take off the old self and put on the new self. He tells us that when we join in them, when we add these things, we will live a life of purpose and significance. It may not look like anyone else's walk with the Lord, and that's fine, but we can rest knowing that he who began a good work will carry it out into completion. So a couple takeaways for us before we leave. First, have you ever gotten the book peg, okay? Have you come to a time in your life where you realize that there is no way that you can have a right relationship with God outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, his son and our savior? Have you prayed confessing your sins and asking the Lord to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? If not, please don't leave today without talking to me about it more. I would love it. If you have done that, 
then are we actively participating with God and making every effort to supplement our faith? We have to resolve now to courageously seek to know God more by reading his word and spending time with him in prayer daily. Then we just got to do what his word says and take the time to actually apply it to our lives and let it make a difference. When we don't love the circumstances we are in, we must commit to hopefully and faithfully endure them, remembering Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross for us, asking God to reveal to us his movements in and through our circumstances, and then we submit to his will. We must notice if we're slowly but surely growing to look more like Christ and allowing his agape love to not only flow through us, but to spill out of us on everyone around us. When I was in college, every day I would pray, Lord, please ruin everything in me that is not of you, and then fill me so full with your Holy Spirit that if someone bumps into me, they cannot help but get a dose of Jesus. We must build upon what God has given us, and we have the Holy Spirit. We have all we need, and it's God's work. We can do very little, but that very little we must do. And finally, let's check our fruit. (laughs) How's our fruit bearing? Let's commit to be active and not inactive. Let's remember all that Christ has already done for us so that it spurs us on to respond to Christ in word and deed. So (laughs) several years ago, I was complaining to my mom about how hard it was to get up and get into the word before the kids woke up. And in my mom's true fashion, she is sweet and precious and godly and a little bit of a fireball. In my mom's fashion, she said, well, sweetheart, when you have a hard time getting out of bed, just think about Jesus hanging on the cross for you. And if that doesn't get you out of bed, then you need to check yourself. And she is absolutely correct. Isaiah 52, 14 actually tells us about Jesus on the cross. And it says his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of a human being. And his form marred beyond human likeness, y'all. I have thought of that image often when I find like something is too hard for me to do for Jesus. So I want to leave you with this verse from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we sit in all of you and the work that you did for us on the cross. And Lord, I pray that as we feel like life is too hard or it's, we can't do that for you, that we will remember all that you did for us. And in that completed work that you have given us the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of our lives that has provided all that we need to live the godly life that you desire. So Lord, I pray that you would impress that upon our minds this week, that we would remember, and then that we would do our part in response to what you have already done for us. Lord, we love you so much, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.